Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. All right, if you have your Bible open to Acts chapter 8, thank you, praise team, for leading us this morning, as always. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. When we think about what it is to come to the Lord, there are folks who will come or pray or seek God when it's most convenient. Others will come or pray or seek God when they need something. In those moments, it's usually some kind of crisis or some kind of major event that uh, will draw them to, uh, to him. Some will seek the Lord or want proof, uh, some kind of miracle or a sign, or they want healing, and they never repent of their sin and never confess Jesus as Lord. We've got a guy like Simon in Acts chapter 8 who sees the show, for lack of a better word, that Philip is actively engaged in ministry and the powering of the Holy Spirit. And he wants what Philip has. And then uh, Peter and, and John come on the scene and he sees what they do and Simon wants what they've got. But the more you read, you really begin to see in Simon he wants those things for all the wrong reasons. When we come to Jesus and we trust him for the forgiveness of sins, we trust in his work on the cross, we trust that God brought him back from the grave, and we trust that he's coming back for us, we are in a place where we are called to know him in that moment. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I know my own and my own know me. When we come to believe in Jesus Christ, it is a call now and an invitation to know him, to pursue him. And he has made the commitment, well, God the Father has made the commitment to make us more like his son. Friend, the surrendered church has bowed the knee to King Jesus. We have removed our crowns as servants of the king. We don't buy Jesus. We don't pay for the benefits. They were all paid for at the cross. When we come to Jesus, it is about knowing him and becoming more like him. If you would stand as I read, starting in verse 4 from Acts chapter 8. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. 
Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down uh, there, they prayed for them so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me this power also so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. If you would pray with me. Almighty God, your name is special and holy. Father, we pray as Jesus instructed us that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I pray today that you would show us any place in our heart and in our life where we seek ourselves over seeking you. Help us today to see you and see you alone. Lord, help us to know you more today than we did yesterday. And I pray that we would seek you and not just your gifts. Father, I also pray that Coastal Oaks Church would be used to reach Rockport and Fulton, Lamar, Holiday Beach, Aransas Pass, the Coastal Bend, South Texas, the great state of Texas, our nation, and the world with the gospel. Father, help us always to point to others the fullness of life and the joy of knowing you. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Just to catch you up where we are, starting in verse 4, we'll come back in a couple of weeks to verses 1 and 3 when we talk about Saul. Um, But uh, a great persecution has broken out or broke out against the church after last week's message out of chapter 7 where Stephen is stoned and killed uh, for preaching the gospel. Um, Now a greater persecution has has, uh, erupted against the church led by one man by the name of Saul. Um, You can read there in verse 3, Saul was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. And so we're going to catch up with Saul because Jesus is going to radically change his life. Uh, But for now, this is what's happening. And so we find Philip. Now, Philip, we know from the beginning of Acts chapter 6 because he's one of the seven that are chosen to help serve tables. We talked about that uh, about two or three weeks ago. And so now Philip is no longer serving tables. Philip is out preaching the gospel. Um, He is part of the group that has scattered out of Jerusalem away from the persecution and is now taking the message to other parts beyond Jerusalem. If you'll remember back to what Jesus said in Acts chapter 8, excuse me, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That is happening now in Acts chapter 8. They are in Samaria ministering, preaching the gospel to the Samaritans. Now you might think in this moment that as persecution breaks out, you might think that the church would shrink back, be quiet, and stay in the shadows as they left Jerusalem, that they would be hiding. But actually, it's the opposite that happens. They do spread. They do leave the persecution area. It's still being persecuted. Paul's going to, uh, excuse me, Saul's going to chase after them. But they leave Jerusalem, but they don't stay silent. They keep sharing and keep preaching the gospel wherever they go. This is one of those moments captured about this young man named Philip. And it's one truth that we need to remember always is that every single one of us, every person who follows Jesus as Lord and Savior is a missionary. Wherever you go, wherever your schedule takes you, wherever God has planted you, you are a missionary. I loved the video, uh, the FCA video about the coaches and the impact that a coach can have on a young man's life. It's true. Those coaches are living out that call in their life, not just to coach and win, but more importantly, to bring people to Christ. Wherever God has you, that is your field of ministry, and it is an opportunity to share the gospel. God is sovereign, and and he typically, maybe even always, acts contrary to human wisdom. We think it would be one way that God would work, and he'll do something completely different. For instance, back in the book of Genesis, you can go all the way back to chapter 50 of Genesis and find Joseph. Joseph had some brothers that were very jealous of him to the point that their jealousy drove them to try to kill him. And they stopped short, and so they left him at the bottom of a well, like that was going to somehow save his life. Well, so they, 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 there's a little bit of conviction there, and so, well, we won't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. So they send him off to Egypt. And in Joseph's mind... His brothers meant to harm him. Actually, we would say, yes, he suffered physical harm, probably some mental anguish, all kinds of things. But at the end of the story, Joseph comes back to his, uh, his brothers come to Joseph 
And here's what he tells them in verse 20. He says, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about this present result, the survival of many people. God had positioned Joseph through all kinds of hardship, but he positioned Joseph to be in a place where he could save his family, the very family, the very brothers that tried to kill him. He would later, years later, God would use Joseph to save him from famine. God works in ways that are just contrary to our own wisdom. In fact, the gospel is foolishness to the world, but to those who are being saved, the Bible says, is the power of God. So in verse 5 of Acts 8, it turns our attention to Philip. The life of Philip really is that he is a fearless evangelist. He shares the gospel, and we're going to see him today, and we're going to see him again next week. And that's pretty much the end of Philip in in this book of Acts, because we move on to Peter and, 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 and Paul. But we find in Philip preaching the word wherever he goes. He's preaching to a group of people known as the Samaritans. The Samaritans were not liked by the Jews. They were not liked at all. But what we remember is that Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Last week, through Stephen's message, we learned that God was not bound to the temple. He was not confined to Jerusalem. But now that is going to go out even further. The gospel is breaking out of Jerusalem. It's going to what Jews considered to be a half-breed of people, a mixed race, a mixed ethnicity. The Jews did not like them. They didn't have any tolerance for the Samaritans. If you go again back, you got to, who are the Samaritans? You kind of go back to that Old Testament. After King Solomon died, the kingdom of Israel splits into two kingdoms. You got the northern tribes, which remain Israel. You got the two southern tribes that remain, or that are now named Judah. They have different kings and they don't often get along. They kind of go separate ways. God deals with the northern tribe first. They're sent into exile because they are, the, the, they are so far from God and pursuing God or, or trying to know him or even make his name known. And so they go into exile first, then the southern tribes do eventually go into, uh, into exile. But what is left after all of that exile and after the northern tribes are done, and it, what's left is you've got this group of mixed ethnicity. Uh, you've got Jews that are intermarried with some people groups from around the area, and it's, it's just all mixed in. And that's what a Jew from the southern tribes of Judah, that's how they saw the Samaritans. It's mixed. It's not what God had intended. All of these things they would label on them. But we see that the gospel goes to everyone. And so even in Jesus's ministry, there are a couple of important moments. One, that he healed a a Samaritan leper on the way to Jerusalem. Two, was when he had the life-changing conversation uh, with the Samaritan woman at the well. The Jew asked the Samaritan woman for water. Again, contrary to human wisdom, that wouldn't happen in the, uh, with anybody but Jesus because he cared about them and he loved them too. And then you see, of course, one of the greatest, most known uh, uh, parables that Jesus taught was the Good Samaritan, where the Samaritan is the hero. That, again, just completely flies in the face of, uh, of human wisdom if you're a Jew. And now we have Philip, whose life has been changed by Jesus. We have Philip, who uh, is preaching the gospel uh, to a people who are not a part of the in crowd, the Samaritans. Listen, here's the lesson that we take from this today, and here's how we apply it. Any ethnic group in this world needs the gospel. No one is excluded 
from that need because of the color of their skin or where they're from or what language they speak. This is one of the major issues that we, the church, ought to have with what's known as critical race theory. Critical race theory, you've heard it, CRT. If you watch the news at all, you know there's a great battle going on with those terrorists known as parents. I say that in jest and sarcasm, laying it on pretty thick there. But listen, to me, as I have studied it, critical race theory is not of God, it is not of his word, and it has, it's the furthest thing from the gospel. It's a major problem. And any church that calls on CRT is a, it ha, ought to have an issue. CRT is partly founded on Marxism. Folks, there's nothing further from the gospel or godliness than Marxism. CRT also seeks to divide, not unite, but it seeks to divide on the color of our skin. And it places us in that kind of category. Friend, let me tell you what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that there is one race, and that is the human race. Now, we are different in our ethnicities, absolutely. Of course we are. We can thank the folks at the Tower of Babel for that difference, but we have different ethnics, uh, ethnic groups. But there is one race. And the last time I checked in the scripture, Jesus came to save all of us. And we see that happening and starting to play out in Acts chapter eight. Jesus just wasn't for the Jews. He's for everyone. The gospel has been said is the great equalizer. I want to share two sources with you if you are interested in reading about critical race theory and where I'm coming from in saying what I've said this morning. The first one is by Vodi Bauckham. You spell his first name V-O-D-D-I-E, Vodi Bauckham, and it's entitled Fault Lines. You ought to Check that out and read it. The second book is by Owen Strahan. You spell Strahan, S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N, and it's called Christianity and Wokeness. I would encourage you to pick those up. I would let you have my copies, but you can't read from all of my highlighting and writing and tagging the books. I would encourage you to read both of those so that you get a gospel picture of what CRT is and the dangers and why it just doesn't work with the gospel. It's very important. The gospel is the great equalizer. It's been said that Jews saw the Samaritans as half-breeds. Friend, there, there, is, there is this place in the gospel where we are just human and we need a savior. There are no rejects based on ethnicity. There are no rejects based on physical condition. There are no rejects based on or prejudices that we can place on it. Jesus came so that there would be great joy amongst all people. And we know that all the nations will be present when Jesus returns. This is part of this moment, uh, momentum that's happening in Acts chapter eight. Peter, excuse me, Philip is preaching to the Samaritans. And I want to ask you, what are you doing with that? What are you doing with the gospel? If Philip is running, uh, leaving Jerusalem or running from persecution, hey, no big deal, but he's running and he's still preaching. It's not like he's being quiet. He's not trying to hide in the shadows. What are you doing with the gospel that you've been given, the, the gospel message? You, you are called, just as I am called, to be a steward of that precious treasure known as the gospel. How are you using that? How, what are you doing with it? Be like Philip. Passionately share 
the gospel. Faithfully share the gospel with those whom God has placed around you. Now we turn our eyes to this young man named Simon. Or he could not be young. He could be middle-aged. He could be old. I don't know. I just say young because I like to feel like I'm still young sometimes. He is amazed and confused. That's what I think about Simon. He's amazed because the Bible says he's amazed, but you also see that he's quite confused about what he's uh, seeing. What we find in, in verses 9 through 13 is like a showdown between the gospel and, and, and dark magic, uh, sorcery. It's not much of a showdown because there's really no competition when compared to the power of God and, and that sweet gospel that we have. But we are introduced to this, this man named Simon. It says that Simon practiced magic, sorcery, um, for a long time. And with that, he amazed people with his show. I mean, I go to youth camp sometimes or children's camp. You Sometimes that's what's called an illusionist, right? Those things fascinate me still. Like, I know it's just a sleight of hand and there's some kind of trick to it, but we're still kind of drawn to that. It's, it's very interesting to see and try to catch them at their own game. But, but we know that Simon... Uh, Simon has been given this name, this name, his nickname, the great power of God. That's what people think about it. Here is Simon, okay? He's been working these, this magic, doing his show, and the people, the Samaritans, they're so far out of touch with God, that is, wow, this man, he's doing something. Look what he's doing. He's doing some kind of magic. He must have the power of God. He's got the great power of God. Little did they know that Philip would actually come and share and preach with the power of God and that the power of God would work through Philip to bring healing and and other uh, uh, miraculous events happening at this moment. So in in Simon, what we have is someone who is a false prophet. He's working signs and shows people are following him. People have been watching him. They're They're attributing the work of God to his life, but he's a false prophet. He's not preaching the gospel. He's not even connected to Christ yet. But he put on a good show, and so the people trusted him. So the false prophet would direct praise to himself. The true prophet always points people to the cross of Christ. And that's why Philip's message of the gospel catches their attention, along with the the signs and wonders that God is working through Philip. And so the scripture says that the people there believed and were baptized. And it also states that Simon believed, but many believe that Simon didn't actually genuinely believe convert to follow Jesus. It says he was baptized, right? But then it says he was amazed at the signs that Philip was performing. He's confused because he sees the signs and miracles that Philip is working, and that's what he's after. We only learn that the more we read, that he wanted what Philip had. He wanted what Peter and John had. And so he's pursuing the wrong thing. Salvation is a call to pursue Jesus and knowing him. Not to pursue the miraculous, but to pursue the marvelous, that is, the Messiah. Those around him did, and the gospel gained ground in Samaria, which is exactly what Jesus said would happen. The good news of Jesus Christ, we know from Scripture, can take down any kind of stronghold that our old enemy and adversary would like to put in, our play, in its place. Our enemy and adversary has erected All kinds of things, black magic, mysticism, witchcraft, we call it wicked today, false teachings, fake idols, false security in pursuing what our culture says is the dream that we should all be living. He's got all kinds of traps for us. Yet the gospel has and will always overcome every single one of them. 
Friend, there is freedom and liberty from darkness in Jesus Christ. Always. Listen to what Paul says. He says, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Second Corinthians. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. A call to salvation is a call to know him and that that light has shined into the darkness of our heart. Well, News of the great conversion in Samaria has reached the apostles back in Jerusalem. They stayed in Jerusalem. And so because this great spread of the gospel is happening and Philip is preaching and people are coming to the Lord, we've, we've got to see, the apostles have to see firsthand what is going on. So in verse 14, we understand that Peter and John are sent for the gospel. Philip's not a lone ranger. He didn't go off on his own, right? He, this is a strategic thing that God is is working. And so here come Peter and John to check it all out. Now the Bible says that the Holy Spirit had not yet been given to them, but only that they had been baptized in the name of Jesus. That's not always the case in the book of Acts. Be wary of trying to place the Holy Spirit in a box, just like we have to be careful not to put God in a box. It happens different ways in different times in the book of Acts. For this time, we understand that the Holy Spirit had not yet been given to them. And so the apostles come, and he lays, they lay their hands upon them, and they received the Spirit. This is a visible sign in this moment that marks a very important moment for the church and for the advance of the gospel. It is stating that the gospel is not just for the Jews. It is for the world. It is for the Samaritan as well as the Jew. There will be another time in, in the, this very book of Acts where the gospel is for the Gentiles as well. And so Simon catches what's going on as Peter and John lay their hands upon these believers and the Spirit comes upon them. And, and then he comes and he approaches Peter and he says, hey, hey, I want some of what you got. Friend, money can't buy everything. It can't buy everything. He saw what Peter and John did and how God blessed the Samaritan believers with the Holy Spirit. And he's after that same power. No, he, he didn't ask, but he tried to buy the gift of laying on hands so that he could also give this kind of power away. Now, we need to ask, is Simon asking for the good of others or is he asking for his own show? Is he asking for himself? If you think back through the story, he's working. He had been working signs, been working in magic. Philip comes along, shares with the crowd the great gospel, the true gospel, and there are signs that are accompanying that preaching, undergirding the preaching of the gospel, and now he wants to know the secret. He's like, come on, Peter. Peter, I need that power. Hey, Peter, look, here's some silver, man. Let me give to your ministry. You bless me when I give to you. Give it to me. Come on, Peter. I, 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 need, I need that. And of course, Peter is going to offer back that very stern rebuke as any one of us should receive if we ever came seeking favor, trying to buy God off with our money. Friends, it can buy a lot of things, but it cannot buy the Holy Spirit. It cannot buy indulgences. It cannot buy the pursuit of God. Look what Peter says in his rebuke. He says, you'll die with your silver, or your silver is going to die with you. 
because you thought wrong. You're, you have no part or no share in this ministry or in this matter, depending on what version of scripture you're using. What's interesting to me is that Luke later will use that same phrase, and it's translated later as a participation in salvation. You have no part in this ministry. Simon, there is nothing for you here. God has not called you out. God has not established you in this. He is not calling you to it now. You have no part. You cannot buy what God is doing in this moment. Simon, your heart is not right before God. You're focused on yourself and not the Lord. Simon, here is the solution, Simon. And Peter issues this call to pray and repent. Simon, you've got to get your heart right before God. You've got to ask for forgiveness. Simon, the reason you need to repent, the reason you need to pray and ask for forgiveness is because your heart is poisoned by bitterness. He's poisoned with bitterness because he doesn't have the power and he doesn't have the prestige or perceived prestige of Peter and John. And then his heart, his heart, Peter says, your heart is bound by wickedness. Friend, that is anybody that's outside of outside of the gospel, outside of a relationship with Christ. It is only Jesus that can heal that and fix that. When we come to Jesus, it's about pursuing God and knowing God, not the pursuit of his power, but it's about knowing him. We don't know if Simon took Peter's offer to repent and seek forgiveness. All he does is he just says, oh, well, pray for me. Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. He's asking for someone else to pray for him instead of confessing and repenting himself, just exactly what he was called to do. Friend, let's draw this to a close this morning and just, some of you will go out this morning and put an offering in that box. The application for me in this is that when you put that offering in the box, please do not think that you're buying off God's blessing for the week or somehow you're buying off the blessing of the church or tapping in somehow to God's revenue stream. The presence and power of God is not for sale. It cannot be bought. The second thing I would encourage you to do is pursue knowing God. This is where Simon missed the ball. This is, to me, this is where Simon struck out. He had an opportunity to know Christ and to be known. He had an opportunity to become, get into this, into this relationship with God through the, uh, through, the, through the Son and to pursue knowing him. Friend, the, the gospel frees us from darkness. It frees us from bitterness. It frees us from anger. It frees us from harboring those, the, those sinful thoughts in our heart. And it frees us to pursue him. It frees us to, uh, to, to know him, just like Paul stated in Philippians chapter 3. I want to know him, Paul said, and I want to know the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. Listen, some of you may come, have come to Christ at some point in your life thinking that your life was going to get better. Better job, better car, better family life, better marriage, better, 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 always looking for what's better instead of looking at Christ because Christ is better. That's what you get. You get Christ. And in that journey, God commits to make you more like his son. Therefore, that's when we get better, if you will, when we become more like Christ, not that he makes our circumstances better. That's what Simon was after. We don't come to Christ seeking anything but Jesus. 
Please don't ever make that mistake. You come to Jesus for Jesus, and you come by God's grace and his mercy. And this is how Paul would speak toward the end of his life when he says, I want to know him. Simon wanted to know his power. Paul wanted to know his person. We don't come to Jesus thinking, what can I get out of you today? We come just to know him more. Because at the end, all you have is Jesus for nothing. Better to have Jesus and all of Jesus. Maybe it would look like this, how the psalmist would describe a longing for God and how he would sing for that longing in Psalm chapter 42. As the deer pants for water or longs for water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I longed, excuse me, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. To thirst for God is the call of the disciple. To thirst for God is the call for the surrendered church. If you are here today and you are sensing that God is calling you unto salvation to join him in this relationship, then come home. Come home. Come to Christ this morning. In a moment, our praise team is going to come lead us in another song of, of worship And I would encourage you to use that time. Confess your sin to the Lord and commit to follow him as Lord of your life. Ask for the forgiveness of your sins. If you need help with that, I'll be here at the front and I will be more than happy and and full of joy to, to help you do just that. If God is laying upon your heart a conviction to pursue him more, then come to the altar and and spend some time in prayer as we sing. And as we worship him in that kind of response, listen, he died so that our sins would be wiped out and that we could receive a new life in Christ for God's glory and our good so that we can pursue knowing him. Come and join in that pursuit. Be busy about sharing the gospel this week, church. As we leave, we leave for the mission field. Remember the words of Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And as you busily share the gospel, be intentional with the gospel. Be intentional and friends, be bold.